2: Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: January 20th, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Our guest tonight is an eminent historian here to talk about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mary Frances Berry is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, the worst ways to celebrate MLK Day a thousand armed men storm the streets of Virginia, and Bernie Sanders is not sending you a goddamn birthday card. <laughs> so let's catch up on today's headlines. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day when people celebrate the civil rights leader's life. For others, today was the day to celebrate something black that they loved, their guns.
2: Today, thousands of protesters, some heavily armed, rallying in Virginia's state capitol, protesting legislation that would restrict access to guns.
1: A perimeter was set up around Richmond's capitol building. Outside of it, thousands roamed with weapons in hand. We're here to represent every citizen here that wants to keep the right to bear arms. Okay, guys, this is so embarrassing, but everyone here wore the same thing. <laughs> Someone needs to go home and change. No, but for real, this is like one of the reasons America is so fun. Go to any other country and tell your friends to get all their guns, because you're gonna march to the Capitol. You see what happens, yeah. Yeah, an American just be like, yeah, we're just showing up. Everywhere else, you're either getting arrested or you are the captain now. That's what's happening. <laughs> And look, I know that might have looked scary to some of you, but look on the bright side. If you were a deer in Virginia today, this was the best day of your life. <laughs> all the deer was just like, guys, all the guns are at the Capitol. Everybody, let's start smashing. Time to overpopulate these wards! <laughs> all right, but let's move on to a story out of Michigan that just may restore your faith in humanity and thrift stores.
2: We have a Be Kind story about a guy who literally was sitting on a small fortune. Meet Howard Kirby, who found $43,000 in a couch cushion. Actually, $43,170. Kirby bought the couch last month from a thrift shop near his home in Michigan. He kept complaining that the cushion was uncomfortable. So his daughter opened it up to see what was going on, and she found all that cash. Kirby went back to the store learned the couch's original owner actually passed away last year. The be kind part of the story is that Mr. Kirby gave the money to the late man's relatives.
1: Wow. This guy found $43,000 in a couch. Who owned this couch? (laughs) Bill Gates? Like, who owned? No, because I've heard of losing coins in a couch, but who was like, oh, where did I put my $50,000, ah? But this guy is one of the nicest human beings ever. He returned $43,000. I'm not gonna lie, that's way nicer than I can ever be. I don't play those games, man. Find us keepers. Yeah. I won't even return a rental car. I'm just like, yo, it's mine. Hertz will call me like, sir, you didn't return the car. I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But while I've got you on the phone, how do I connect the Bluetooth if hypothetically I happen to drive that car again? I'm just saying. In fact, this may be unpopular, but I think when you buy something, you get to keep whatever comes with it because let's, let's face it, you're taking a risk when you buy a used couch. You realize you're basically buying a lifetime of someone else's farts. <laughs> if you're willing to stick your hand inside the couch, you deserve whatever you find. <laughs> All right, and finally, in some environmental news, because of climate change, it may soon be impossible to grow coffee beans in most of the world, but now scientists have decided that they're gonna do something about that. Inside a laboratory, scientists are concocting something they call molecular coffee, a cup of caffeine without the bean. Jared Stopforth and Andy Kleicher are co-founders of the startup Atomo. Following in the footsteps of trendy plant-based meats like Impossible and Beyond, Atomo wants to give coffee lovers a sustainable option as climate change and the increasing demand for coffee lead to deforestation. We are the Tesla of coffee. Okay, uh... Maybe this is me, but I don't know if coffee should be the top priority right now, because when climate change has destroyed the planet and we're all living in a Mad Max dystopian world, coffee is gonna be the last thing on your mind. Yeah, I'm not gonna need coffee when that guy with the guitar is right behind me, all right? I'll be, I'll be like, yo, yo, I'm up, I'm up. Everyone's like, hey, I could use some coffee right now. No, you're on fire, my man. Don't worry about being up. Because this is the reality we're gonna live in one day. If we don't take climate change seriously, we're gonna have to find replacements for things we no longer have. Instead of coffee beans, we'll have to mimic the roasted bean smell with chemicals. Instead of meat, we'll have to use plant burgers. Instead of hot dogs, we'll have to grow synthetic pig anuses. I think that's where it comes from. So this is gonna be a real problem for coffee lovers. Although interestingly, it won't affect Starbucks because they thought ahead and they've replaced their coffee with puddle water like 20 years ago. (laughs) All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. We are now exactly one year away from the next presidential inauguration, which means this time a year from now, we'll either see a Democrat up there taking the oath of office, or we'll see Trump zipline in from the Washington Monument (laughs) wearing a cape made out of his tax returns. (laughs) Why don't you audit these nuts? (laughs) But before we get ahead of ourselves, the Democrats still need to choose their nominee. So let's catch up on the latest developments in the Democratic primary race, another installment of World War D. Primary voting is kicking off in just a couple of weeks, which means people around the country are starting to decide which candidate they're supporting. And that means endorsements are beginning to roll in. Bernie Sanders was endorsed by AOC and the National Nurses Union. Andrew Yang got the endorsement of Donald Glover and Dave Chappelle, and Mike Bloomberg got the endorsement of the other six dwarves. (laughs) But there's one endorsement that Democrats have been waiting for all week. The New York Times. It's the country's most trusted paper and where America turns for news until they run out of free articles. And last night, (laughs) in the middle of another super contentious primary season, the New York Times decided not to decide. Democrats running for president are getting a boost from the New York Times editorial
2: board for the first time ever. The paper endorsed two candidates in the primaries, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. The Times says that Warren is the best
1: leftist candidate, while Klobuchar is a centrist choice. Yeah, for the first time in 160 years, the New York Times decided to endorse two candidates, which seems like a cop-out, right? You're only supposed to make one endorsement. That's how it works. Right? You never saw a LeBron ad where he was like, to quench my thirst, I choose Sprite. or oh, water, uh, it's fine, either way. I mean, they both work, whichever one, you choose. Now, even though the Times decision was a letdown for some people, I did appreciate how transparent the process was. You see, the paper's editorial board brought in each candidate for lengthy interviews, which they then released to the public. It was great because we got to learn a little bit more about all of the candidates. For instance, we learned that if you're having a surprise birthday party, Don't get Bernie to planets. What are you likely to fail at or to do poorly as president? Look, I don't tolerate bullshit terribly well. And I come from a different background than a lot of other people who run the country. I'm not good at backslapping. I'm not good at pleasantries. If you have your birthday, I'm not going to call you up to congratulate you so you love me and you write nice things about me. That's not what I do. Never have. And, I, and I, you know, I, I, I take that as a little bit of a criticism, self-criticism. I've been amazed at how many people respond to, happy birthday, oh, Bernie, thanks so much for calling. You know, it works, it, it's just not my style. God damn! Bernie Sanders does not mess around. The question was, what would you be bad at as president? And his answer somehow became F- birthdays. <laughs> I feel like Bernie should just start his own line of Hallmark cards and it's just a white piece of paper that says, whatever. <laughs> It's almost, it's, you know what it is, it's almost starting to feel like Larry David impersonated him on SNL, so now Bernie is impersonating Larry in real life. You know, he's just like, and why? And why are we doing this, huh? Why are we still blowing out candles? You know what, you know what my wish is? To eat a slice of cake without your spit on it. How about that, huh? how about that? And to be fair to Bernie, once you get to his age, birthdays aren't that fun anymore. Yeah, you get that many candles on a cake, Greta Thunberg's gonna show up and protest your carbon output, come on now. (laughs) Now there was, there was one notable candidate who did not sit down with the New York Times, former mayor of New York and world's cutest ATM, Michael Bloomberg. (laughs) Apparently there was some confusion. You see, the editors asked if he would come by the New York Times and he responded, sure, I'll buy the New York Times. How's 20 billion? I found it in my couch. (laughs) So Bloomberg wouldn't speak to the Times, right? but he did spend the weekend doing outreach to a different group of people, black people.
0: Michael Bloomberg hoping to win over black voters. He gave a major speech on
1: race in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Sunday. Bloomberg attempted to connect with black voters by discussing how he has benefited from white privilege. The challenge of African American wealth creation today is inextricably linked to the racial inequalities of the past and I'm determined to make breaking that link a centerpiece of my presidency. As someone who has been very lucky in life, I often say my story would only have been possible in America, and I think that's true. But I also know that my story would have turned out very differently if I had been black, and that more black Americans of my generation would have ended up with far more wealth had they been white. Okay, wow, Michael Bloomberg delivered a speech in Tulsa, Oklahoma, acknowledging his white privilege. It was succinct, it was clear, and that's one thing you'll almost never see old white men do. Yeah, well, that and covering their balls in the locker room. <laughs> and can I be honest, I'm proud of Mike Bloomberg, not just for admitting his white privilege, but also for how he used it. Because I see so many white people wasting their white privilege on stupid shit, like getting out of parking tickets or complaining to the manager. My man Bloomberg over here used his white privilege to make $60 billion. Yeah, he privileged the shit out of that whiteness. That's how you're supposed to use it. And look, we all know the reason Bloomberg is doing so much outreach to the black community. It's because as mayor of New York, his police did a little too much outreach to the black community. Yeah, but if Bloomberg wants to make up for stop and frisk, You know what he should do? He should just do more stop and frisk again, but this time leave $100 in everyone's pocket that he stops. Yeah. Now, it wasn't just reporters from The Times interviewing the candidates. Our own correspondents from The Daily Show were also there with the candidates to ask them some questions of their own. Say something mean about
2: Biden. I'm not gonna do this. I'm, I'm just not.
1: Oh, come on. Just one nasty comment. You need a fight to keep the ratings up. I'm glad to talk to you about
2: why I'm running for president. OK. But not to attack.
1: I'll just say you called him an old bitch. <laughs> old bitch Biden. Senator Sanders, let's talk domestic issues. How do I fix my failing marriage? You take a minority, and you demonize that minority, and you blame that minority and you take the despair and the anger and the frustration that people are feeling, and you say, that's the cause of your problem.
0: Okay, minority. Senator, I know this is a terrible question to even think about, and nobody really wants to ask this, but we have to know, what if, while you're president, they make another Cats movie? Um,
2: that's that's a deeply worrisome thought.
1: It is. Love it, guys, thank you so much. We'll be right back. (laughs)
0: Love The Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to tds or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Welcome back to The Daily Show. Today is Martin Luther King Day. A day when America celebrates the legacy of one of its greatest civil rights leaders. And a day where black people get to cut in line at Chipotle. <laughs> at least that's my excuse. But what is Martin Luther King Day? And how should people celebrate it? Well, for more on this, we turn to a man who has had many dreams that no one wants to hear about. Roy you Jr., everybody! Welcome, Roy.
0: Welcome. Good to have you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Mandela. Look, MLK Day is a special day for America, and it's a special day for me as someone who has been mistaken for Martin Luther King Jr. many times. But but as we get further and further away from his life, it's easy to forget what he was really about, which means sometimes people celebrate him in a really f***ed up way. So today, I'd like to show y'all some of my favorite MLK up's, like this one the holiday
2: didn't go as planned for some today. A business in Duluth, Minnesota created controversy when promoting a sale in honor of the civil rights leader. The sign posted at the shop read, MLK Day Sale 25% off everything black. But the owner says it was just misinterpreted. 25% off everything black? He was black. He was proud. He looked good. We were celebrating that.
0: Are you serious? For MLK Day, 25% off for of black clothes. What it should be is 100% off for of black people. Free at last, free at last. Pants, tops, and coats are free at last. Yeah, Roy, you know, what makes it worse is that if you read Dr.
1: King's speeches, you'll see that he, like he was opposed to consumerism and wasteful capitalism.
0: That's right. Celebrating MLK Day with a sale is like commemorating Samuel L. Jackson Day by whispering... <laughs> That's not what the man stands for. It's not like in the middle of his mountaintop speech, Dr. King just broke off. Remember me with savings too insane to be believed. I might not get to that store with you, but my eyes have seen the power of the discount. Come on, Coretta, let's roll.
1: You know, it, it, actually, it actually is unfortunate because it seems like some white people are out of touch with Dr.
0: King's legacy. Oh, It's not just a white thing. In fact, Dr. King might actually be proud that on his special day, people of all colors and backgrounds have been up.
1: As we pause to honor Dr. King this year, a flyer for a local event that bears his image is causing quite a stir. But as NBC 25's Walter Smith tells us right now, the party is now canceled. The party promoters, nowhere to be found.
0: This poster has a lot of people shaking their heads in disgust. It shows Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wearing a gold chain, promoting a party called Freedom to Twerk. It was supposed to take place at this club, but it's been canceled. The owner says he's disgusted, and there'll be no twerking here. There will be no twerking here? Sound like Gandalf in a Tyler Perry movie. There will be no twerking here! (laughs) And then, you know, the strippers fly all over the place. (laughs) Also, how are you gonna Photoshop Dr. King with gold chains to try and make him look cool? He was already cool. Look Look at these real pictures of Dr. King from back in the day. Look at him playing pool in a suit. In a civil rights, fresh from a march. That shot's so cool, it doesn't matter if he misses. And here he is, making the library look cool. Stated in front of books like they stacks of money. But this this, this is my favorite Martin Luther King, wearing sunglasses inside. Trevor, he could have taken that call in private, but he left the door open for the haters. (laughs) but maybe, maybe the most popular activity on MLK Day is using his legacy to push your own agenda, and no one has done it in a more interesting fashion than this guy.
1: I believe that Gun Appreciation Day honors the legacy of Dr. King, and the truth is, I think Martin Luther King would agree with me if he we were alive today, that if African Americans had been given the right to keep and bear arms from day one of, of the country's founding, perhaps slavery might not have been a chapter in our history.
0: Okay, okay, hold up. I'm pretty sure on Dr. King's list of priorities, giving slaves guns comes way below not having slaves in the first place. The logic... The logic makes no sense. That makes no sense. How would you do that? Like, do, do you think the slave owners would have just had a little chit-chat? Well, should we set them free? Oh, no, don't set them free. Let's make it interesting. Give them shotguns. <laughs> now, I will say this. If slaves did have guns, the movie Roots would have only been 15 minutes long. <laughs> Your name is Toby, or oh, whatever you want us to call you. Know, it's cool with it. Cool okay. Talk? okay, okay. I'll call you so, so Roy, we've
1: seen people mess it up, you know, with sales or, you know, with their own agendas. But what is the proper way to
0: celebrate Dr. King's legacy? Listen, man, it's simple. MLK was for racial equality, economic justice, and stood against the exploitation of the poor. And he did so because he knew that one day our great nation would rise above bigotry, injustice and poverty and on that day my friends there will be twerking for everyone <laughs> everywhere where would you we everybody be we'll right back <laughs> <laughs> love the daily show ears edition then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love go to cohst.app/tds or click the link in this episode show notes to fill out a quick 2 minute survey and tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Welcome back to the Daily Show. My guest tonight is a civil rights activist who served on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights under five presidents, including as chair. She is a historian at the University of Pennsylvania, and her latest book is called History Teaches Us to Resist. Please welcome Dr. Mary Frances Berry. Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to The Daily Show. Well, thank you. And before we get into the book, I just wanted to say, I honestly have met few people who have lived as much of a life as you have. You mean I'm old. (laughs) No. As <laughs> some people are old, but they haven't lived ah, life. Okay. All right. They really haven't, because, because reading through your story truly fascinated me. I mean, you know, you were at the forefront of uh, opposing the war in Vietnam. You know, you were one of the key individuals who fought for the American government to impose sanctions on the apartheid government in South Africa. You've been fighting for equality in America for a long time. You've been on the front lines, and you're a friend of Dr. King's family. If you look at MLK Day today, and you look at how people have warped his message and his image, etc., what do you think is the biggest misconception people have about Dr. King?
2: The biggest misconception is that Martin Luther King was a dreamer who had a dream. Every time I go someplace, people get up and say, yes, he was a dreamer. He was always dreaming. Well, that's because of the speech and the part that's taken out. Uh, Martin Luther King believed in the right to vote the first speech he gave in Washington at the prayer pilgrimage in 1957, his coming out, as it were, in Washington, was about if we ever got the vote, everything Mm -hmm. would change. We'd have justice if we just got the vote. That was even after a year before they had done the boycott, the Montgomery boycott. But over the years, as he evolved, he saw, hey, the vote is important and we should get it, and he continued to fight for it but voting by itself isn't gonna give us justice. And he concluded that protest is an essential ingredient of politics. You see, politicians want two things. They want you to vote for them and they want to get, re- get elected and they want you to vote for them so they can get reelected. Right. Those are the two things they want. <laughs> but the thing you have to want is to make them do what will give you justice and equality in this country, and they won't do that unless you make them do it. And that's where a protest is involved. Martin Luther King believed in nonviolence. He learned about it, he believed in it, he and Coretta believed in it. It was at the center of their lives. When I say protest is an essential ingredient of politics, I mean nonviolent protest. And the book is about the kind of nonviolent protests you can engage in, which will make change. It will make government officials who you elected actually do what they promised they would do. Isn't that unique? How interesting (laughs) that they would actually promise to do something and even try to do it. Uh, (laughs) Saying Uh, you, but that's what. And the other thing the book is about is how. Every generation has to make its own dent in the wall of injustice. Young people, you know, you have to pass it on. Mm -hmm. All the movements that I talk about in that book in which I was involved at the center of some of them, it didn't happen overnight. You didn't go out and have one march. You didn't go out and have two marches. Uh, We went on for years until we were able to make change. So young people have to pick up the torch and move forward with it and make their own debt. It takes a long time for it to happen. And Martin Luther King stood for all of that. He didn't live long enough. Unfortunately, his life was taken. But in the time that he had with us, he modeled all those things for us. There was another thing he modeled, which was you don't have to be perfect in order to be good and to have a good message. You don't have to be personally perfect Uh (laughs) in order to. Uh, what you look at is what people do in the cause and what sacrifices they're willing to make. And that doesn't mean that everybody should go out and die. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we worked hard to end the draft, and we succeeded. I can show you, and if you read what's in the book, you will see that we succeeded when we wanted the Americans with Disabilities Act passed in the Congress. We used strategies and tactics to make it happen. Right. And what you have to do when you protest is... Keep changing what you do. Don't do the same thing over and over and over again. People get tired. If you did the same thing on your show every night, people would say, ah. <laughs>
0: And they would watch you.
2: Change it up. Or if you were like the the team that played uh, Kansas City yesterday, and they just kept on doing the same thing.
1: And I kept saying, why don't you do something different? You see? So, uh... So that's... That's that's really interesting. So if you want
2: want student loans forgiven so you don't have to pay off all that debt... Whatever it is you want, organize people, mobilize people to do it in a non-valid way. Put pressure on... You have to make politicians do stuff. Do you think that... climate change. Make
1: them do it. Do you think that our generation has become complacent in thinking that a moment of giant protest counts as as the duration of protest? Because in the book, you you talk about how, for instance, with the uh, uh, apartheid movement, the anti-apartheid movement, it took two years... For you to get the American government to do something. So right. do you think our generation goes, we have a big march, it trended on Twitter, and now we're done. And we think that's enough, whereas it's supposed to be an ongoing affair.
2: Twitter, putting something out on Twitter is not a movement.
1: <laughs>
2: you can inform people through Twitter. It's very right. useful for that. Facebook, they're all useful for that. Also, you can be kept under surveillance by the people who are watching you <laughs> while you're doing it. But do you have to what I learned over time, and Martin was an exemplar of that, you have to be present in the moment. You have to do something yourself. You have to be there. You have to put your body on the line. You have to be willing to go to jail. You have to be willing to say, here I stand and you will go no further because I have moral authority in what I'm doing. So use any kind of media for communication and right. get in touch and stay in touch although we used to use mammograph machines and get ink all of our fingers <laughs> and all of that and the rest of it but you can make change so the lesson of all this is in this book is if you read it if there's a change you want to have made sure vote it's an election year but don't just vote and then go home and say all right i did it now four years from now i'll come back and do it again That won't get us anywhere. That won't end inequality, and that won't change us and get us justice in this country.
1: If you could organize... Yeah. (laughs) If you... If you could organize a protest today that would last until it it got the results that it needed, what would you say is the most pressing issue? I know there are many, but what would you say right now would be the most pressing, pressing issue that you think people need to protest for?
2: Climate change. Because climate change affects all of us without regard to race, class, or whatever it is. We may not understand that it does, but it does. So I would do it in a way to try to explain to people not just the morality of it, but how their lives are in danger and the lives of their children and so on, and find messaging Uh that would help to do that. And the messaging takes time. For the anti-apartheid movement, the steering committee on that movement, which was successful, met every day at my house in the morning for a year and a half <laughs> and had protesters out every single day going to jail. We all went to jail multiple times. We boycotted uh, Shell Oil Company. We, we, did, we, we made people stop buying Krugerrands when they didn't even know what Krugerrands were before. <laughs> uh, we got nel- help to get Nelson out of jail. And, oh, was that a great day when right. that happened. And so it takes hard work, it takes thought, it takes using creativity and imagination about how to get the public's attention. We had marches, but when we had marches, we had celebrities, people who folks don't know about. Paul Newman, you guys never heard of him. <laughs> he was an actor. Uh, <laughs> uh, people like that who were out there you right. know, doing it. So. In fact, you could, if I were doing it, uh, I would sit down and you could, if anybody wants to start, read the book and come to my house and we'll sit there for another year and a half going out every day, mobilizing people and figuring out what to do.
1: Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful having you, especially today. History Teaches Us to Resist is available now. Dr. Mary Francis Berry, everybody. Um,
2: Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have
1: a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your
2: podcasts.